0: i Spaces And welcome to the Ether. Today is Wednesday, August 3rd, 2022. Today on the Ether, the Shade Protocol weekly Twitter space. Let's take a listen. We got
1: Francois Debs, Ethan, Melch, Terra TerraSpaces, the Cavalier, fun stuff. It's good to see some repeats in here. Is that, is that a P rolling up? Love to see it. Love to see it. Yeah. It's going to be a fun one today. We have some serious serious like progress that's been made, um, on both governance as well as bonds with the the audits going to be released today. And so lots of stuff to be discussed. We'll let, we'll let adults King kick things off. And we also have, um, I'm here with Kyle, uh, the, the lead dev on bonds as well as the response to audit and changes after audit. So, um, It'll be super cool to have him be able to speak to the quality of Certic's audit and what we learned learned from it as a, as a team, et cetera, et cetera.
2: Yeah, so like Carter said, um, we will be releasing the official audit on Shade Bonds done by Certic later today. Um, but we do have Kyle um, in office right now with Carter. So Kyle, I would love it if you could just Give us a walkthrough um, in terms of what Certic went over, um, how they went over it, what were their concerns, and then how we're adjusting them moving forward.
3: Yeah, that's your thing. So, um, Certic did a pretty comprehensive review, uh, which we're pretty happy with. Um, they took a look at the logic, um, the actual interactions with the map, as well as just the overall like comprehensive contract design. Uh, and they clearly paid um, a lot of attention to does this fit what we want it to do, right? Um, we gave them a solid <laughs> setup of what we were expecting it to do with the design intention behind it was, um, the PRD, uh, and they followed that pretty closely. And then a lot of their analysis showed that they were following pretty clo- closely, making sure that the user stories would line up with it. Um, some of their findings that came back, uh, were just about small pieces of logic that we were able to handle. They're very rust savvy, which is nice. They clearly have experience with smart contracts. And so what they had to suggest was applicable and was correct for our environment. Um, And thankfully there were no major issues, um, no critical findings. The only major finding, which you'll be able to see in the report when it comes out. um, But the only major finding was about decentralization. It was just the concern for Um, making sure that admins or people that are looking to take advantage of the protocol and take advantage of the bonds contract uh, can't just do so easily. Um, Just, yeah, hoping that we decentralize it well and have safeguards in place for it. Um, And so being able to tell them about the governance module that we have coming out as well as just the intention for governance for Shade Protocol as a whole Um, and the role that the community will have in deciding those parameters, um, that was exactly what they wanted to hear. And so that issue was resolved just by explaining our intentions for the protocol. And that was the largest issue they found, it's just that. So there's no critical design flaws that they saw, uh, no major security loopholes that can be exploited so as to take funds away from users or compromise bond opportunities that users are attempting to enter. Um, So a lot of good things. We're pretty satisfied with their
4: What do you think about the
1: I know they had one where they were concerned about decimal padding and wrapping, where sure. there was a disparity between like within the bonds contract, how it looks at an input asset and how many mm-hmm. decimals I was looking at? And they kind of pointed out, hey, what if the input asset has a different set of decimals? What right. type of odd uh, behavior? And then I know our response was, hey, actually our Oracle contract handles that logic so what do, you, what do you
3: think about that yeah they, well that that just goes to show again like they are taking care about looking at bonds in the context of an ecosystem they're taking care of looking at it in the context of this protocol that we're making and so they even wanted to set up like hey if you use these other oracles like Chainlink or something like that then decimal counts could change making sure that prices are conveyed accurately so that users are not taken advantage of when entering a bond opportunity um and yes, we're we're thankful that we are going to have our own Oracle that will mediate those prices and make sure that everything is formatted correctly for all of our other applications. But that both speaks to just um, the thought that Certik was putting into it from an ecosystem standpoint, and also the thought that we're putting into it. Yeah, for making sure these pieces work together
1: consistently. Yeah, very impressed with their ability to zoom out and think about long-term user stories and like long-term risks within the context of what what they were observing. So. The report's breaking down into, I think it's, like, there's different vulnerability levels. Mm-hmm. I think it was, like, minor, medium, and then the other one was informational. Mm-hmm. Walk me through some of those informational ones and, like, what we learned from those, quote-unquote, informational vulnerabilities.
3: Sure. Uh, some of the informational vulnerabilities were just uh, ways to make the contract more rusty. So, <laughs> ways, <laughs> ways to more efficiently work with information. Um, Honestly, some of it is just like little things that uh, weren't problems, but yeah, just ways to write it more rusty. It's like we are, we're growing as a team of developers here, even as we continue to produce uh, smart contracts for the protocol. Um, and so it was nice to have this professional firm look at and be like, yeah, it's like this return statement's unnecessary. This thing is unnecessary. And it's like, oh, yeah, it's like, that's that's true. They're small things. They're not functional changes, but, like, it just shows that they really are parsing it line by line. Yep. Like, they're not taking shortcuts, and it's like they were exhaustive of what they thought was worth mentioning. And a lot of them were just those informational bullet points. So it's like, this is in function. It's like, this is just unnecessary. Letting you know if we want to clean this up because we know that this is going to be, like, publicly seen. Yep. And it's like, that's nice. Uh, it's nice to be able to clean it up and have this other set of eyes looking at it. Or I guess the whole team of eyes, however many people Certic had looking through it.
1: We need to forward this to, uh, this audio to certic This is like one of those voice clips you hear on their website. Like, why should you use certic Insert Certik protocol testimonial? Oh, it's, really good. it's really good. Yeah, I mean, we're, with, this,
3: with this one, we're satisfied with it for sure. Yeah. Um, yeah, and just to further flesh out that risk Tier level, um, just what the levels were. The largest was critical, of which we had none. Next was major, which the only one was talking about decentralization. Then there was minor, which the only one was talking about the Oracle price uh, feed in terms of decimal count. And then just the rest of them were informational, slash, just conversation, like yep. open discussion. So, yep. yeah. Yeah. That's, that's what we mean by we say that we're happy with the findings and there's no critical security risks that have been identified. Yep. Cool.
1: That's well, that's, I think that's
2: the at length Walk through adults. If you have any questions, feel free to. No, I, no, I think that's, that sums it up very, very well as to, as to what we experienced, um, using Certic as a, as an audit firm and then how they in depth, um, how well they went into, uh, shade, shade bonds as a whole. But, um, no, I'm just overall, I'm very happy, um, that, we were able to, one, use Certik, and then two, that they were able to find the things that they did. um, And in that, they didn't find a lot of like very critical issues. Um, So just uh, a round of applause for for Kyle um, on his development of bonds. And it was just a very, very well done product. Um, and, And right off the gate, we didn't have to really rework anything or or do any major crazy um changes so again just just well done and and very excited to get this out to the community um it'll be it'll be coming very soon pending some front-end updates um and some development but uh yeah thank you for that kyle and carter but i guess yeah i
1: i I would hop in quick and just say just to like offer up well two things i want to talk about two i want to talk about our commitment to security and Firstly, I also want to talk about like timeline for bonds, just like loosely, just like flesh that out slightly more. Um, pretty much front end, as a couple of you probably heard, we're we're migrating staking derivatives into this kind of master template that we'll be able to plug all future shade apps into very easily with templating. And so it, uh, there's been a components library that's been worked on since i think early april at this point so april may june july so four months to build out a components library that means moving into perpetuity the ability to create um the front end experience is super unified very very unit tested um and is going to allow like much quicker quicker development and so it's been difficult because we essentially were transitioning an app that wasn't following the standards that those four months were designed to set up into those standards, right? staking and derivatives now will conform by those front-end standards. Bonds will conform by those front-end standards. And then really the two other you know pieces, well, there's really two or three. There's this learn bar that's embedded on the site that's just getting wrapped up right now. And the, the final pieces of the puzzle are the kind of airdrop part two, just like making sure everything's good to go on that front. And there's also going to be a portfolio page and the landing page is also getting migrated into this kind of master unified experience. So there is a good chunk of front end work to be done contracts though on bonds are obviously solid. We're, we're, we're post audit, um, at, at this point. Um, so it's really just on the front end team to make sure that everything's rocking and rolling Um, we will not sacrifice the user experience in the name of like rushing the product out at this point. I think we've already made a commitment to making sure these product launches are really well done and have really good experience. Um, I still think, you know, mid the mid August goal is really, really good to push for, but it's, it's going to come down to the front end guys and their comfortability with making sure the user experience is up to par with what, what we expect from, from shape protocol. Um, as as a whole in terms of being an industry leader on trying to separate separate from the pack on that front. Um, so yeah, that's just like an update on the, the UI UX stuff and just want to be like transparent about where things stand there. Um, audit stuff took us a little longer than expected, but it, I think the UI UX stuff is truly kind of the, the the final piece of the puzzle. And now just like returning to like the commitment to security. I mean, like look at all these things that are happening with Solana. Look at the crazy number of bridge hacks. like there's apps left and right that are just getting, getting sniped, right? It's, 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 it's crazy out there. There's um one of the core developers at Shape Protocol, um, S beam has a quote that it keeps me, keeps me up at night. It always is bouncing around in my head. He said, we're, we should be treating uh, like as if we're coding financial nukes in essence, right? Like that's, that's the level of brevity and seriousness you have to take launching a DeFi, DeFi product, like there's that much risk involved. Um, and so I know like there's been pressure in the past. There's been people that have said like, oh, like, why are you guys doing audits? Like, why, why don't you just like launch faster? And I just want to vocalize that we will not sacrifice security in the name of speed, period, end of story. It's part of our ethos that will never change. Um, and so the trade-off is when, right? W-E-N, when, when, when. But It's at the end of the day, we protect users first and foremost. Um, We protect the user experience and have a very high standard for that. And speed is kind of the third variable. Um, Will that be our undoing? I don't think so. I think that like clearly to become a blue chip protocol, you need to be completely robust on the economic front and the code front. And we will continue to aspire for that. We will continue to audit um, the core contracts and I, I believe we have a community that appreciates and understands that. Um, do I wish we could launch as fast as possible? Absolutely, undoubtedly. But do I regret us taking a security first stance? Absolutely not. I, I wouldn't be able to sleep well at night if that wasn't the stance we took as a protocol. So anyways, that's, I just wanted to jump in there to kind of round out this, this portion of the Twitter space. Thank you for listening to my rant. <laughs>
2: no i think that's all very very well said and very well heard and received um i think everyone on this on this space can probably agree that they also feel the same um and that's why they're here because we've made that promise um that that's how we're going to treat things um and i think people take that seriously so no it's all it's all coming from a good place and and very well heard, but. yeah, if we want to kind of transition um, from from the bond side of things to more of the the governance um, aspect of this of this call, because that was going to be the other topic that we touched, um, we do have Guy here. He's one of our contract developers, um, the main developer on Shade Protocol governance and what it will be. But uh, Guy, I guess if you just want to give a a rundown on on what governance will do, functionality right out of the gates, um, and then some maybe descriptors about assemblies and and things like that.
5: Yeah, no problem. Uh, Thanks for having me, guys. Uh, Hope everybody's doing great. So the way government works is, you're still gonna have your traditional government module, the way uh, layer ones work, where the stakers can create proposals, they add some sort of funding as a sort of collateral, just in case that proposal gets vetoed. And then your traditional stakers, everybody that's staking on this protocol is gonna be able to vote yes, no, abstain from it. They're gonna be able to veto that proposal. And once it passes, that proposal is gonna trigger sort of message that, or you know, it could be a written proposal that doesn't do anything, but it can trigger and modify uh, network parameters. The thing with uh, this type of go- governance system is whatever you have some time-sensitive modules, things that require less time than what a standard proposal offers, uh, you could see a proposal lasting maybe a week and a half before it gets accepted. Maybe you want something shorter than that. And that's where assemblies come in. Uh, you basically have uh, assembly members, which you will vote on on-chain, And these people, are their job is going to be managing whatever that assembly's responsibilities are. Good example would be uh, managing the silk peg, right? So let's say you have a silk peg assembly. You can't wait the two weeks for a proposal, for example. And maybe you want it to be five days. You could have it so uh, the assembly, the assembly members internally vote for a proposal once that gets passed, it'll go through another funding stage, just like traditional proposals, and then they will go through a stake or voting phase. The thing is, you can modify each of these phases' parameters. So maybe you can make it so you have, yeah, you have five days, uh, so the proposal ends. You have a lower quorum, but it has a lower percentage to get vetoed. So, less people can veto this proposal since, you know, you're going to have less time to vote on it. And the main idea for this is to have a completely flexible system where you can also limit what messages each assembly can do. So for example, the silk peg assembly can only modify the silk peg. They're not going to be able to touch any bonds parameters, any uh, airdrop parameters and things like that. And not only that but keep things as flexible as possible uh, governance will not need to migrate or upgrade every single time we launch a new contract this is already taken into consideration and uh, the idea of being able to modify multiple assembly parameters on the fly is also taken into consideration so the way i like the way i like to think about it is just a general governance v2 what the next generation of governance modules should be
1: yeah and pretty much like to add flavor to this essentially protocol governance can spin up any number of assemblies which are essentially multi-sigs that have been voted on like who those wallets are tied to those multi-sigs and there'll be eventually regular occurring elections for these assemblies that would be like a v2 feature and the the beauty is the governance can vote on like what the exact scope of the assembly is. So you could have an assembly that sole job is to allocate grant funds and it's a multi-sig and they're able to take actions in the name of the DAO. But every time they take an action, it's still baseline token holders that are kind of getting the final say on these assembly actions. But the assemblies are able to move things forward quicker. And like, this is an example of like, um, having a degree of centralization, but like voted on centralization in the name of running this massive Shade DAO, which is obviously accruing capital and allocating capital in order to grow the protocol is is massively favorable and gives token holders this uh, just like immense infinite playground to design governance to be as large or as small as we want it to be. There could be 40 assemblies one day managing 10 different apps, three different treasuries, Um, like it's, there's, there's literally no limit to like the creativity with this government governance implementation. And I think the hardest part about this is just going to be communicating to the community what governance is capable of and what they're actually empowered to go out and do. Like it's, 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 it's there, like the, the implementation is there. Now it's a matter of functionally building it out, um, I think if you've heard of like Dow Dow on Juno, I think even this, the government governance implementation that Shea Protocol has, if we just launched the governance implementation, people would look at that and be like, whoa, like that, that governance module is insane. Like that, that's futuristic in its own right. But that's just, you know, that's the reason we care about the flexible government governance implementation is because the ability for a protocol to scale Uh, like with this many apps that are going to be part of the game is contingent upon the decentralization, like centralization within decentralization. Like we have to have that scalability and flexibility. Um, So yeah, if you, if you fail to scale governance, then you will fail to scale the protocol. And I I think that's a thesis that I think some of Ethereum blue chip products have proven to be the case and shape protocol wants to be at the forefront of pushing those governance boundaries. And it starts with, with assemblies, sanity checks, generalized token governance, et cetera, et cetera. And Guy, Guy has devoted an absurd amount of hours into that flexibility. And um, he actually posted a forum post to get community members to begin proposing what the various assemblies should be, what the scope of them will be and potential members to, to, to be on them. So it's uh, be sure to go check out the shape protocol forums. You can go to the at shape protocol, Twitter account, Click on the linked tree and then go to the forums and check out that uh, thread. It's super, super good. I'll probably be spending a couple hours today um, making some proposals about p- potential assemblies. And we'll see what the, the community thinks. So hard to, sorry to hijack their guy. I just, I just get so freaking excited about the flexibility on governance.
5: Not at all. Uh, oh, another thing to keep in mind is uh, the quote upon multisig on these assemblies they're completely flexible so you can switch around members you can add or remove a uh, total amount of members and pretty much you can modify whatever you want the main idea is full flexibility every single parameter and governance is modifiable and data and yeah the, that's pretty much it
2: yeah thank you guy and thank you thank you Carter as well um i think the biggest thing for me is the the community empowerment piece right like that is why we're here, and that is why we are doing what we what we do. It's it's for the community, and it's it's for the people. Um, and so, if we fail to empower them, and if, like you said, Carter, if we fail to to scale governance and the ability for community members to participate, then we failed as a protocol as a whole. Um, and so, thank God, Guy has dedicated probably at this point hundreds of hours to making sure that governance is is. To where it needs to be because if it's not then we we have failed to to implement what we need to implement. Um but guys there is there anything else that you can think of on the governance side that people should
5: should know about? I don't think of anything, but I think I, I think I said everything. Um uh more emphasis on that um forum post it is very important that people participate on that we kind of want to see what the community wants to see in assemblies so we can have like a at least a good set of preset assemblies at launch have like a sort of already set up system by that time
2: yeah absolutely so so like carter said uh, if you go if you go to the shade protocol link tree which is on all of our social media and then click on forums that will take you to the shade protocol forums and then you can go and participate in the conversations about shade protocol governance and what those assemblies should be so please please go and participate Um, make your voice known and heard because it is very important like guy and carter both just said to to participate in these things and and be a voice um to to move forward with these but carter do you do you have anything else to add to governance if not then I would love to just open it up for for a brief Q&A in regards to community members that have questions.
1: Yeah, I guess I would just say that a lot of the DAOs out there, it's a centralized group of like, you know, eight to 10 people and they'll go on Discord and be like, this is the policy update. This is what we did. And it's kind of (laughs) like everyone likes the message and that's about it, right? Um, And You know, there's an argument to be made that a lot of centralization at the beginning is helpful um, in in the short term for you know making the moves in the name of the DAO that's going to help grow the protocol quickest, right? But I think there's something to be said about the risks of that mentality um, because it it sets a it sets a precedent for for like how the protocol is functioning and moving forward. So like I, I really hope that we collectively take the leap of faith on the community members to create all these different assemblies and to empower the various community members to these, to these assemblies. Um, it's, it's the great experiment. And I think it's going to be mind blowing once we, people can realize, wait a second, shape protocol governance. If you want to be a super high value contributor, There's room for hundreds of people to partake partake in many, many different assemblies, thousands, right? Like there's literally no limit to how granular these assemblies can get and like what can be empowered. Um, And the one thing I know to be true in the world of Web3 is like you want people to be full-time, part-time slash passionate about, like people need to feel like they're actually having an impact on the protocol. Like we need as much energy and momentum to do that and I think the best way to do that is via governance, collectively empowering various groups of people to go and do, to go and do what they're best at. Um, there's risks to that. There's risks to, to empowering the wrong people. But ultimately, it's, it's the community's choice. And you live and die by the community's choice because this is a decentralized protocol. And I'm excited to see the experiment play out.
2: Awesome. Um, well, yeah, let's, let's open it up to community members um, in regards to questions either pertaining to shade bonds in the audit or shade governance and, and what we're trying to accomplish with that. So if you do have a question, uh, please raise your hand. I'm trying to trying to see if I see anybody familiar. I see a lot, like you said Carter, I see a lot of season two and non's in this space. But we've got Red Eye, Rabbits, um, Solmir, rebel DeFi, zen zen you're usually a, a pretty active voice on on uh discord for for governance do you have any questions i'll i'll bring melch up though here looks like he, he raised his hand melch you should be on stage welcome
6: questions every week um, I had one that came to mind. I actually put it on the forum yesterday and was thinking maybe this would be a good place to share it and get, get your th- thoughts, Carter and, and Guy. Um, I definitely agree with that. Like, fail to scale governance, fail to scale, scale the protocol. And I, like you mentioned at the end there, if you have a bad actor come in, uh, somebody that's maybe not contributing properly uh, in a high-level position, what are your thoughts on what would the community need to build in the infrastructure to report maybe anonymously or remove that bad actor? Um, And I think Sean P does a very good job on this. I advise everyone to go check out his um, social agreement post up on the forum. Uh, I think that this lays a good foundation for that, but that was one of the questions on there. So what do you guys see that community members need to be focusing on to say you get a bad actor in there? How do you quickly remove them so that? protocol and governance continues to grow properly.
1: Yeah, so I think there's there's two parts to this. So the first side is what are the technical tools at play for governance to remove and update an assembly, right? Like that's the first thing I'll address. And the second piece is the social layer, which is honestly the far more complex one, which is what does it mean to identify a contributor that is either breaking code of conduct or is a malicious actor that should be removed. So the, your forum post, I gave it a read, and need to go read it again and go respond to it. I was didn't have enough time to sit down and give it a super good response, um, but I think that references the second piece, which is like, what is our code of conduct and what does it mean to set a standard for the contributors that are essentially our representatives, right? That's what we're talking about here. These are these are public public representatives. Um, but to reference the technical side of things, the there's really there's, there's two pieces. So first generalized governance always has the ability to update any of the different assemblies and their composition and what the wallets are on that. And that's, you know, that's pretty granular. Imagine a world where shape a you know, $20 billion protocol, and there's one malicious actor in one assembly and there's 30 assemblies, right? And this assembly that they're on, there's 40 people, right? That's like, we we don't want billions of dollars worth of capital voting on a single person tied to a single assembly. Like they're a very small piece of the puzzle. So how do we handle that? The initial train of thought, which is something called SIG switch, and the idea is that the assemblies themselves are capable of impeaching and updating a respective um assembly. So if you have essentially one multi-sig observes that um there's an actor on one of the multisigs that isn't doing their job that's breaking code of contact and so that multisig essentially or that assembly proposes hey we want to we we vote to kind of update this other assembly and then the one that proposes it isn't able to vote on it neither is the the assembly that's kind of being pushed to be updated and then it's all the other assemblies kind of vote on on the situation so that's kind of like a There's still some thought process that needs to work through that. But that idea is can we have representatives collectively be able to impeach and move through that process quicker rather than having generalized token governance have to be dragged through the mud every time? Um, But even the fact that you bring this up makes me think maybe there needs to be inter assembly uh, ability to update the assembly itself. That gets a little bit sketchy. But then you have to remember that anytime a change is proposed, there's still the sanity checks from baseline token holders with like a really low quorum. So it's still like, everything is still sanity checked by baseline token governance. So in summary, there needs to be a lot more work on the the technical procedures for removing and updating people from multi-sigs or from the assemblies, I should say. The technical ability to do that is there, but what the actual steps are and what the relationship is,
6: is still being mapped out at large, so. Yeah, I appreciate it. I think that that's one of the harder parts, uh, at least for me to envision. Uh, The social one is almost easier to grasp, but um, yeah, I'm excited to see that get get built out. And um, yeah, Guy, thanks for putting that up on the forum to get that going.
1: Guy, I'm curious from your perspective, how you think that, like I said, picture $10 billion protocol, 20 assemblies, hundred members on each assembly. And there's like five or six people that are bringing code of contact on one of those assemblies. What, what, What is, what do you picture handling that on like from the technical implementation side?
5: So, for starts, uh, let's look at the scenario. We have an assembly of 10 people, and maybe two of them are compromised, two of them are bad actors. You still have to go through two phases to actually get that proposal out. You need everybody, or at least the settings are going to be like 80% of the assembly needs to be in favor of your proposal, and then the rest of the community needs to be in favor. And... You know, you, you still have that that sort of, even though there's bad actors, you still have the rest of the staking community to stop these bad proposals. Another thing, is, let's say uh, this assembly member is, you know, going against code of conduct, and it's not that he's a bad actor, it's that we don't want him in the assembly anymore. You could do a off-chain discussion in the forums, maybe a uh, draft proposal, and you could anonymously create a, general governance proposal to update that assembly, to remove these people that are breaking a uh, code of conduct, or we don't want them in the assembly anymore. And you could do this at any time. Another thing is something that I'm proposing, uh, I should write it down on the forum, but I wanna have a sort of assembly assembly, which is uh, ideally maybe the most trusted people in SHAPE protocol, maybe developers have things like that. and this is an assembly that just concentrates on setting schedules for maybe assembly elections, uh, setting schedules for updating the profiles, updating when uh, all their parameters for creating proposals and all this. So it's, it's a sort of decentralized goal of having centralized control. Uh, I don't know if that makes sense.
1: No, it makes sense. And I, I think like, it would be convenient to have an assembly devoted to updating compositions of assemblies in the event of like code of conduct code of conduct being broken or like a malicious actor like essentially an assembly that's solely devoted to reacting rapidly to those types of negative situations in a way that's kind of they've been empowered to do that um by the community and they're still ultimately sanity checked by the community on those decisions um but in a way that we can move pretty rapidly because yeah i think we have to be careful with like like i said at the massive scale dragging too much of generalized token voting into like very minute changes that could be rapidly changed by some sort of executive assembly that's been voted on by by assemblies and governance um but yeah there's like really weird trade-offs in there who watches the watcher is always like the the really interesting question of governance and the answer here is token holders which is a lot more direct and powerful than traditional governments, just because of the ability to enact change rapidly. It's not a once every four years or every two years, it's a, hey, go make a proposal and we go vote on it, right? Like That's just like so much more empowerment than traditional sovereign governments. Um, but anyways, those are some of my thoughts. There's a, lot, there's a lot to think about. And as I've said before, governance is late game, right? like, I, I hope one day all i have to talk about and think about is governance. I, I'm personally not there yet, but this is the stuff that gets me really, really excited, um, is, is governance.
2: Yeah, I think there's there's always more and more to unpack, and, and you can always go further down the rabbit hole. Um, but Melch, thank you for asking the question. And obviously, since there are things up on the forums, um, again, please go and participate in the forums um, and make sure that your voice is heard. But Let's bring up Red, um, longtime community member as well, um, just like Melch, but let's let's bring him up so you can ask his question. Uh, Red, you should be on stage.
4: Hey, guys. Uh, great, great topics today, and I think a lot of it's very relevant, at least to the conversations I've been uh, able to have with core team members. Um, the main question I have uh, for the team, and anyone that has any context on this, feel free to answer it, but... Now that you guys have gotten uh, feedback from the bonds audit, how do you guys foresee uh, the audit timelines and then the work that you know has to come afterwards, mainly being uh, the front end work? How do you guys see that impacting the timeline for other primitives? Because you had mentioned the bonds audit took a little bit longer. Part of that is due to the complexity and kind of the inner workings of bonds with other primitives but we can only assume that these primitives will become more and more interconnected, like when governance is launched, when Silk is launched. So I'm assuming these audits are gonna take even longer. So I'm wondering if you guys uh, can provide any color on how you think this is gonna impact the timeline for launches of other products.
1: Yeah, will Kyle jump in here, maybe offer up some of his thoughts and I'll have some thoughts to it.
3: Certainly there will be a bit more time just at least, because if we continue with Certic for some of these other uh, products, which I, I think we intend to, for at least the immediate ones, um, they are comprehensive. Thankfully, um, it seems they actually want to look through that, like product design, right? What I was talking about earlier. So yeah, and you're you're very correct that as we keep introducing these other pieces of the protocol, it does just get more complex. Um, a lot of the interactions between the contracts are really powerful and it's going to give us that utility that we want in the protocol but yeah, it also just means there's more potential uh, attack vectors if it's done hastily right or if it's done without careful consideration so I, I i would imagine at least that audit timelines would be a bit longer specifically the audit piece i don't think that that has enormous implications in the front end development right or anything like that i think the standard of front end um, just the user experience being the most important thing, and waiting on that for whenever the front end devs are ready, right? I always think that that's going to be our default, and I think that audit timelines will be a bit longer. But I mean, this is all—it's—it's it's all just good information gathering. I think this is just going to continue to let us make more and more accurate timelines.
1: Yeah, and in terms of like contract timelines, um, governance, and I can governance isn't a really solid spot staking has continued to make progress i think treasury has effectively been feature cut off at this point so that's honestly getting to a place where we can start doing kind of these contract testing with like how treasury interacts with staking and we're starting to close in there which a month ago i couldn't say that now i can um in terms of um, silk itself, Synasol, it's but like pretty much we've just continued to move forward, and I don't think the the bonds like slow like so. Kyle has been the sole the sole Dev on bonds pretty much, and everyone else has been continuing to work on their their respective products. So I think the audit has essentially only impacted our ability to have Kyle move around to other components of the protocol. Um, so the biggest impact is honestly silk pay i would say silk so pay's timeline realistically mm-hmm. is probably the only thing directly impacted right now in terms of timeline everything else is still wearing away in the uh, in the background so yeah there's yeah,
3: this, this specific bond audit because it's not showing everything else back
1: yeah no just so, just silk so pay because of to emergency silk line, line. So, right yeah so
4: Yeah, and uh, another reason I wanted to ask this is just because we're talking about how powerful governance is and how much flexibility there will be. Um, I can only imagine the the user interface for governance is going to be extremely important. Um, And I've had the the pleasure to talk to Guy a little bit uh, about this, but um, considering this possibility of an ever-growing number of assemblies, the the organization and ease of use for generalized governance is going to be really critical. Um, So... Yeah, yeah I, Austin, just things Austin's that an
1: interesting. About. Austin's talked about that as well. It's like on our list of <laughs> many, many front-end things to be to be built. I think what we launch with in terms of that user experience is going to be ugly and very, very bare bones, but it'll get the job done. And that's something that will continue. The UI/UX of assemblies will continue to improve over time. But I don't think we can promise some phenomenal like massive management platform out of the gates um yeah the front end guys are very crunched they i would say i think we have almost a three to one ratio on contract devs to front end devs so they are um contract development is faster than front end development right now so it's like it's but with the components library, all those pieces, I'm I'm confident that front-end stuff should be more quick. Right. Though, but and, and that
3: sort of speaks like the audit process being synchronous with front-end development. Like, yes, we do have that disparity between back and front-end devs, but it is nice that even while the audit process yep. will be happening for each of these upcoming primitives, front-end can be working on them. And also our devs are Flexible. And so if, if it sure comes yeah. to, I mean, one of our smart contract devs was previously a front end developer. Yeah. So he is savvy enough with that and would easily switch back to it. Um, and so like there are avenues to yeah. help I, out
1: that. Good. Yeah. It's, it's, yeah. i personally personally, like, I would rather have front end and UI UX be the, the bottleneck versus wait a second. There's no more products to launch. Like yeah. our, our contract development's always outpacing sure. front end. And I think that's actually good pacing. It's not a bad problem to have. Um, but to your point, timeline-wise, audits are probably we're going to have to account for them taking longer than we may be anticipated. So that's a good good learning experience. There was definitely a disparity between the first audit quality versus second audit quality. Um, and with with Certic moving forward, we'll be accounting for that additional time that uh, required. But fall the the, leave, the leaves. Uh, Don, do you want to define fall for us? Because
2: I, I still I still think that broad multi-month
1: range is a
2: uh, uh, on the uh, no, I feel like such a goofball whenever that comes up, but it is really funny and it's now a running meme in the community. If you've been in here for long enough, um, or in the shade chats or listen to our YouTube uh, round ta- round tables. Um, I will not be describing fall on this call for everyone, but if you do want to Google autumn, they are synonymous. So... <laughs>
1: Although we have we have Fisco here, maybe he could shed some light on what fall is.
4: Well, we all know Dalton is the
1: resident the,
2: uh, expert on fall.
4: <laughs> I'll say I am I am about to have to hop off here, but the, the main reasons I bring these questions up is because I think it's very important for the team uh, and people who are trying to support the team to manage expectations uh, realistically. Um, and there have been at least within Secret Network there have been uh, you know a bunch of projects who uh claim to launch at particular dates and then everything gets pushed back and this is reasonable and understandable up to a certain point but i think a lot of the issues that come with that could be mitigated by managing expectations a little bit more realistically so hopefully with this information you guys gained from the bonds or sorry the auditing process for bonds and then also how long it's going to take to get the front end ready to go hopefully this will be able to help you guys out with managing expectations for the community a little better yeah, yeah
1: no no I agree and I think the the that's why fall is the very broad word being used right now versus a specific specific month um but yeah once once we have once we have more specificity we'll definitely be providing those those timelines and having bonds get pushed off you know 3 4 weeks was once again a learning experience I think the I think what we nailed this time is we did a better job of knowing the contract timeline Like I think we were relative, relatively accurate. So we improved on that front. Um, We weren't as accurate on the uh, audit timeline as well as like the turnaround for front end. So I think for these next product launches, we'll be smoothing out projection wise with, um, with front end slash audit timeline. And I feel like we're finding our rhythm on the contract side though, with projections. We're doing, we're doing a better job with that.
2: Yeah, absolutely. Um, Thank you, Red, for asking those questions. Um, Melch as well, thank you for asking your questions. I'm gonna drop you guys down. Um, If anybody else has a question relating to timelines, uh, bonds, audits, or governance, please raise your hand. Uh, We will bring you up. We've got about 10 minutes left on the space here. So probably time for maybe two, um, possibly three more questions. To see if see if I see anybody. Um, looks like we have p here. Welcome. Um, Judd's here with his freshly minted shade slash silk sock. as his PFP. Um, yeah, I don't know. Carter, I guess you have anything. I guess I would agree with you um, while we wait for someone to, to have a question here. I would agree with you. I think we've locked down uh, contract timelines pretty pretty solidly, um, and we're slowly implementing processes and, and implementing structure more more structure, right, to make sure that we have timelines on front end um, aligned correctly with the contract uh, with the timelines as well. Um, what are your What are your thoughts on that? I know you kind of just mentioned it, but.
1: Yeah, I mean, I, I think the, you know, timeline concerns are completely fair. Like, the trust is built from execution on timelines. So I, th- I think that observation is completely fair. Um, I will say, I don't know of another protocol that has, I think, we, I think we've written it out, like 12 or 13 products literally yeah. happening in parallel. Like, it's, yep. it's, it's absurd what we're trying to pull off. Um, and part of that trade-off is it's a lot of entropy It's it's a lot of entropy to track, but then it's weird because the entropy is hurting and that it is being herded in the right direction. And like, we have anticipation and excitement about it. And we want to share that anticipation and excitement, but it has to be balanced with the ability to, you know, ship within a timely manner or an accurate timeline. So I think it's, I think it's good feedback. Um, I also think it's fair to observe the absurdity of the number of products in motion right now. So
2: yeah a hundred percent a hundred percent it's it's all balancing community expectation um versus community hype and excitement right you want people to be invested you want people to know that they all these products are coming um but you do have to be realistic like red brought up about how long it's actually going to take um but really important stuff but Beer, i did bring you up um looks like you have a question you are on stage welcome yeah
3: hey guys <clears throat> so the the Goal of bonds is to build protocol owned liquidity. Just play a little uh, devil's advocate. What happens if bonds aren't um, as successful to build uh, tons of protocol owned liquidity? Uh, what are the options to then um, incentivize liquidity for uh, Shade Swap?
1: Yeah. So there's been some super at length discussions about this um, on the forums where it seems like rented liquidity is still going to be favorable out of the gates with a transition to more more towards protocol and liquidity um because of the discount that can be given there's going to be a set of arbors that want to play the bonds game um how many people we don't entirely know yet how successful will bonds be we don't entirely know yet let's assume that no one wants to participate in like, hey, I give DAO LP tokens and I get something in return. Let's assume no one wants to use that. Um, Bond still has two pieces of key utility in my mind. The first one, it would be acquiring L1 tokens for protocol owned staking. Um, You could acquire Atom tokens, you could acquire Osmo, you could acquire Secret and just straight up make a trade with less slippage than anywhere else you can get because of the spot price choice for the protocol. Um, and begin staking those assets. And that ROI obviously goes back to the Dow and back to, to stakers. So that's, that's utility one. Utility two is actually the ability to create a silk bond market. Um, essentially, a user comes in, they give, let's say, 990 silk. X number of days later, they get 1,000 silk back, right? Um, and essentially, the way this would work is the Dow receives the silk during that time frame, they're using that silk to generate yield, and then at the tail end of it, the user gets gets like the the spread. Um, this is really interesting because it's it's essentially like a bonds market, and we would essentially be discovering the risk free rate of return for silk and building an entire market around that risk quote unquote risk free rate. That's an absurdly powerful product that hasn't really been done yet. Where is that silk yield coming from, you ask? It's mostly tied to the silk savings pool, tied to Shade Lend as a, uh, as a product. So still mapping out what that can look like. But even if bonds completely fails on the LP token front, there is still paths for it to be an ex- a super valuable tool. It's also a stability mechanism, if need be, as like last resort for either, either adding silk to the market or removing silk from the market, if need be, um, by offering uh, a bond and a discount. Not optimal though. That's, it's the worst stability mechanism, all of them, but it is like an emergency tool that can be used in a really bad environment, just like the US you know, government uses bonds. to like try to balance things out. It's, it shouldn't, in Silk's case, it shouldn't be the first resort, it should be the last resort. But I am looking forward to seeing what market can be built around um, Silk's risk-free rate and what it means to define that over time. So hopefully that's a helpful, helpful answer. Yep, perfect. Thank you
2: awesome um well thank you SP, for asking that i'm going to bring up deeps really quick and then we will probably end on this question but deeps you should be on stage welcome okay i think i just connected can you all hear me
7: yep. yep okay great uh thanks for the spaces guys and i i know we're wrapping up here soon i, I there was something i was thinking about so um deeps here i i kind of do like cosmo weekly updates right so i I get the chance to like look at uh, all the different um, major ecosystems throughout Cosmos when I do these write-ups, uh, and one of the things I was kind of thinking about over the last couple weeks is I'm starting to see a lot of privacy projects popping up on chain. You know, for I think it was Osmosis it was like Void Protocol, and there was several actually being built on Terra right now. So it kind of just brought up the question in my head. So how do you all differentiate yourselves from the competitors, right? So, I mean, I know there are things that make you all different, like Silk um, and the 14 other projects you were talking about working in parallel. But I'm just curious, what would be Shade's elevator pitch um, and how your privacy solution is different? And if maybe the privacy solution isn't that different, maybe it's about what you're building
1: on the network. Yeah, so the biggest differentiation is Um, smart contract privacy versus transactional privacy. There are many, many, uh, many a mixer out there on on transparent blockchains that provide some degree of privacy. Sometimes they mix in threshold level encryption schemas. Um, Some of them try to use uh, like components of SGX, Um, but ultimately, Shape Protocol is not trying to compete on transactional privacy. Like we're not, we're not claiming were the the kings of transactional privacy? I would I would definitely say Monero takes the crown on that um, out of like all the projects out there. I would say the biggest advantage for Shade Protocol is privacy preserving smart contract metadata. So what that means is when you interact with a smart contract, um, your for instance like your trades are kept private, like your trade sizes, uh, your liquidation price points tied to Shade Lens is kept kept private. Um, Silk so obviously transactional privacy, but that's Like probably "quote unquote" less less defensible. Um, Your bond interactions, like you you name you name the smart contract that we're that we're building product wise, and all of them are going to have that smart contract privacy that other transparent blockchains simply can't have. Right? Their, Their JSON metadata is entirely like entirely public. You can literally go to a block explorer, look at the transactions; it's all there. And so, in summary, the defensibility is not transactional privacy. I hope one day every blockchain has transaction privacy, Um, the really hard attribute that other people are going to fail to match is privacy-preserving contract metadata. And Seeker Network as a protocol was designed to empower that feature. And the way that's empowered is by having every single validator running trusted execution environments and having your your consensus and your computations um, be workable across encrypted data and... Transparent blockchains like Juno and Osmosis, they simply can't do that. They can come up with tricky schemas to try to have moments where they have privacy, but it's always going to be weaker than an L1 that was entirely devoted to achieving fundamental privacy for, for contracts. So that's, that's my answer. Okay, great. Uh,
7: thank you. I mean, I think that's a really key point kind of differentiating there because I'm willing to bet um, you know, your average user, uh, crypto, even if they are pretty deep in these ecosystems, maybe doesn't
1: understand that so. Uh, thank you for your time and your response. Hundred percent. And Thanks for your work on the Cosmos updates. Uh, Education is a valuable, a very valuable endeavor, and uh, so is so is research into the various projects. Um, so yeah, keep up keep up the awesome
2: work, and thanks for your interest in Shade Protocol. Awesome. Well, I think that's gonna be about it, guys, uh, for this Twitter space. But thank you to Carter. Thank you to Kyle. Uh, thank you to Guy for jumping on. Thank you for everyone who asked questions. Um, like, like we always say, we do these for the community, um, and to be involved in the community as much as we can. So, uh, just some recaps, make sure you go to the Shade Protocol forums and make your voice heard, uh, and participate in the, in the conversations that are happening. Make sure to follow us on all of our social medias, um, and enjoy the rest of your morning, evening, or afternoon, wherever it is for you. Thanks guys.
0: Thanks for checking out another episode of The Ether. That was the Shade Protocol Weekly Twitter Space, recorded on Wednesday, August 3rd, 2022. For TerraSpaces.org, I'm Finn. Thanks for listening. Laying there at night while I'm counting sheep. Brain, I'll repeat, no amount of please. Would you shut the fuck up? Yo, I'm trying to sleep. Not till you write it down to remind your genius ass in the morning. When you wake up to realize it was nothing more than a weird dream. And you feel like everybody's on the tape, but things aren't always what they seem. What's real to me isn't real to you. Living this reality is barely new. And if you've seen this little feud, you'd be filling up your gas tanks too. We're living in a fucking simulation of a simulation. Don't look back, or you'll get sucked into the miscommunication. All this dumb fucking ruckus. Drink bleach here. Keep it tight to me, rinse Swing for the bleachers. This ball is crushed. I feel like I wanna kick the bucket over, spill the fun, release some other meats of hunting all these silly motherfuckers, coming at us like we don't got a bunch of guns, or something these are fucked up times we're living in, and I don't need the judgment, free to suffer, no need to suffer, the leaders bust freedom, hunter disagreements, wander cold streets filled with screaming bottom feeders, take me to your leaders, blasting propaganda through the speakers, so if you wanna build, let's build. But if you wanna steal, get buried in the field. Double duty at the Rocky Rudy Coppin' foodie, not a newbie. Got the Rudy's hustle, looking like Chewbacca threw me through the window. Fucking sue me now, I'm looking all hypnotic, bougie, with a bunch of suckers I went to school with who barely knew me. Student sitting here, fucking clueless, looking at the next duck trying to see who the goose is. Should've paid more attention to the hole in the boat. Now tell me why y'all still vote. 6